My question is, has M. Night Shyamalan met a gay person before? Mm. <laughs> mm, it's questionable. My favorite thing about this whole movie was Daddy Andrew and Daddy Eric. Oh, my God. Which, by the way, Daddy Andrew. Daddy Andrew. Daddy Andrew. <laughs> what is up? <laughs> Call me sometime. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ride Home Podcast. My name is Abby. Hey, guys, it's Caitlin. We are super excited to be back. We took a little bit of a break. I did some traveling for work, and we just needed a quick breather because we've been hustling on these episodes. We have. We have. It felt like a really long break, though. Every time we take a week off, it feels like we've been gone for, like, a month yeah i'm just like no one's ever gonna listen to us again we're done no <laughs> we're not everyone's gonna listen to us but it did feel like a really long time it felt a lot longer than a week so yeah. it feels good to be back it does feel good to be back we missed you guys and i feel like this is a really good episode to come back on because i it feel is. like this is a movie that we are going to be able to talk a lot about and unpack mm -hmm. we just got out of knock at the cabin which is an m night Shyamalan film and i think everybody who knows anything about him knows that he came super hot in the early 2000s with mm -hmm. some bangers he came out with some real he heavy hitters. came off the rip just hitting hard the sixth sense unbreakable signs the village it started going a little bit downhill with Lady in the Water, which like I personally love Lady in the Water, mm -hmm. but a lot of people really hated it. And then we basically like crashed and burned at The Happening mm -hmm. and The Last Airbender. And basically those two movies just really, it was like <laughs> the largest fall from grace I think we've seen yeah. from a director in a very long yeah, time. Unfortunately. And then he had Split and Glass, which were the follow-ups to Unbreakable. Mm -hmm. And then he did Old, which honestly is maybe the only one of his that I haven't seen yet, now that I think about it. Okay. So we missed out on that one. Yeah, we did. And it didn't get great reviews, so... I think a lot of people missed out on that yeah, one. Yeah, I don't think we missed it, really. But M. Night is back. M. Night is back. And he's cooking, because he has the number one movie in America right now crazy it has pretty decent reviews knock at yeah. the cabin and we we're pretty excited to go see it i'm always apprehensive though because uh -huh. ever since his fall from grace ever since the happening <laughs> it's just a bit of a toss-up it really is and you don't know what it's gonna do i've watched back some of his movies since the happening mm -hmm. and i tried to be like is it is it that we loved him so much from the sixth sense that we like let the rest of it fly right. does right. that make sense right signs still holds up sure i think the one reveal of the alien coming out from behind the bush at the children's birthday party mm -hmm. is still one of like the scariest moments in like movie history for sure i think all of us are still traumatized from yeah. that. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i that that one kept me up mm -hmm. for sure and i always like imagined alien fingers like underneath my doors Ew, yeah. like that was traumatizing mm -hmm. those early ones still hold up i think he ha did have some flaws yeah i think the one thing that i will say that i do appreciate about him a lot is that he truly does bring really original ideas to mm -hmm. the table and although i think 
every single script he's ever written could probably have used a lot more editing. Sure. I still can appreciate having a writer director still in the game, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. people like that, like Martin McDonough, who like mm-hmm. writes and directs his own movies. I just have so much of like an appreciation for those yeah. people, even if they have their flaws. It's still just a really impressive thing to be able to do that and to do it quietly. Unlike James Cameron, who thinks that the sun oh, shines out God. of his entire ass. Yeah, who will never, ever stop hearing about. We'll never, yeah. James Cameron is James Cameron's number one fan. He, he'll never let us <laughs> he forget really it. Is. And we're just going to have to see Avatars until we're dead. Yeah. A million sequels of Avatars. He's going to live longer than us just to spite us, mm-hmm. just to make more Avatars and force it down our throats. 100%. He's going to be 200 years old making Avatar. Yes. Kept alive like in our by machines. Watching it. <laughs> Still. He's going to be hooked up to like a breathing tube that's like forcing him to breathe as he's directing Avatar. Oh my god. You know it's true. <clears throat> he would. He totally would. <laughs> M. Night, however, I feel like he's been a little more behind the scenes. Like he, he's been working on his stuff. He's been creating pretty consistently from the early 2000s. I think that's really yes. respectable. And so um, a thousand percent was excited to go see Knock at the Cabin, especially after seeing that it had pretty positive reviews. Yeah, and the trailer was really good. Yeah. It I remember the first time we saw it in the theaters, it really grabbed our attention. Mm-hmm. And of course, part of the reason why it grabbed our attention is because Ron Weasley was in the yeah. trailer. I was like, oh, it's Ron Weasley. Ron Weasley. Um, so all of that being said, there's been a lot of hype about this movie. And it's just kind of something mm-hmm. that we've both been excited to see. Yeah. So this one stars Dave Bautista. It also stars Jonathan Groff, who a lot of people know from Broadway. Mm-hmm. And of course, Rupert Grint, who plays Ron Weasley yes. in the Harry Potter series, who I think his in his television show servant so i think that's the oh, connection okay there. so I he didn't just that. like <laughs> randomly, just like randomly pull randomly ron weasley. Yeah. yeah you know who i should really get for my apocalypse movie ron weasley yeah that that's <laughs> the missing piece that's the that's sure. the missing one yes um would you do me a favor and read the non-spoiler synopsis from google for I me absolutely well thank you While vacationing at a remote cabin in the woods, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand they make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. Confused, scared, and with limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. As always, this will be a 50-50 episode, Mm -hmm. so we will do spoiler-free up until you hear the little elevator, elevator music yep. and then we will talk about our spoiler review uh, sure. in the second half so that being said starting off our non-spoiler section of the podcast mm-hmm. what are your thoughts and feelings fresh out of the theater not as best uh-huh not as worst that's it in a nutshell for me <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know why i was expecting so much more <laughs> well here's the thing i'm i'm holding my cards a little bit close uh-huh. on this one because okay. there's a lot that I want to say about this movie. Okay. But this is initial thoughts. This is first uh-huh. initial thoughts. So I'm keeping it a little bit. <laughs> okay. I'm playing it real close. I to know. Best. You came out hot. You were like, I have so much to talk about. I am going to. I this, And I, I just do. have a laundry list of notes that I want to. And <laughs> your first is just. Eh, wasn't his best. Wasn't his worst. <laughs> because ultimately, that's how I felt about this uh-huh. movie. There was a lot of things that I enjoyed about it uh-huh. there were some really cool things that i thought he did in this movie and then there was a lot i have a lot of issues with this movie a lot yeah yeah i funny enough kind of had the same reaction as you when the movie ended i have never felt so apathetic yes. leaving a movie 
And it wasn't like I was hoping that I would jump from my seat and be like, yes, like what a masterpiece. Like I knew it wasn't going to be. Sure. But I also thought that I was either going to have uh, a typical Abby reaction where it was like, these are the things that I hate. I hated this. I hated that. That was that was bad. This was bad. Or I thought I was going to be like, oh, wow, the spark is back. M. Night is back. And I really didn't feel that way. No. Like either way. No. But what's really interesting is I also agree with you that there is so much to talk about and unpack mm-hmm. in this movie that I feel like even though I have so much that I want to share and unpack, it doesn't make that much sense that I also simultaneously feel just completely I feel nothing and incredibly apathetic about that (laughs) one of the first things that kind of stood out to me and part of the reason why I feel so apathetic and possibly (laughs) why you do too I hope you agree with me yes it's an apocalypse movie Uh and this family is being faced with a choice and da 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 to prevent the apocalypse like Mm -hmm. it said in the thing but it's also trying to tell us about this family Mm -hmm. and how it accomplishes that are like these cut scenes where they're like flashbacks flashbacks to Mm -hmm. like little memories like basically like core memories of each of the members of the family yeah those cut scenes did nothing for me absolutely absolutely nothing they were truly devoid of feeling uh-huh just felt really surface level yeah and it felt really choppy like it didn't feel cohesive as part of the movie and they came at very weird times i, I was gonna say i feel like the cut scenes didn't play into the main storyline so like Mm-mm. usually when there is a flashback it's like you know, something reminds somebody of something. Mm -hmm. And so like it flashes back or there's a theme that you're dealing with. And so it flashes back. These flashbacks were just like, well, let's just cut back like real quick. Out of nowhere. And it was like they were trying to make us empathize with the family. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, you didn't really need those flashbacks in order to empathize with a family. (laughs) Who like is being, and this is in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler, but their choice is basically they have to sacrifice one of their family members. They're also being held hostage. Yes. So like, it's not hard to empathize with people being held hostage. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, clearly they're in distress. Right. get that. Their whole choice is, is sacrificing a member of their family. And I think every single human being literally on this planet, unless you're a sociopath who is devoid of empathy, would be capable of connecting with a family that is forced to make that choice yes and also being held hostage right and i think we've seen in horror movies throughout all of time that you don't need to build these elaborate backstories for people in order for the audience to connect to somebody and to feel scared for them to empathize with them to connect with them Mm -hmm. they could have done subtle nods and hints at their past and and their connection as a family instead of like cramming these weird 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 little backstories yeah and by weird i don't mean that they were weird it was like i'm gonna say something so mean to m night right now but like it was like film student backstories like it was like what would a gay person go through a gay person would go through a hate crime a gay person (laughs) like (laughs) a gay person would go through a non-accepting family honestly we didn't need the cutscenes at all. Yeah. Like you said, we could have just established their characters in the present time mm-hmm. without having all of these random cutscenes, like you said, that were literally just like 
almost stereotypes yes yeah. of a gay person's life yeah which completely it felt i think maybe that's why we felt so apathetic because even though it was about a queer family i didn't connect to it at <laughs> no, all not in at the all. least even though there were things that i've experienced even that part of the movie i didn't feel like oh man like Mm-mm. that sucks like <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I don't really think he accomplished what he was trying to accomplish with those scenes. No. And I mean, honestly, like all he really needed to do was just have a a couple of scenes of getting to know the family, like as they show up to the cabin and Mm -hmm. what they're like. And these little tiny moments, like I said, like subtle moments where you get to know who they are as people, their connection, Mm -hmm. the the roles within the family. Just the dynamic. The dynamic. Yeah. And I completely agree with you too, was that everything felt like so stereotypical and like Mm -hmm. black and white, like this is what a gay experience is, which first of all, I mean, the, the choice in and of itself of having your gay couple be represented by two white, Mm -hmm. handsome (laughs) men in and of itself is a stereotype. Exactly. Like that was one of my biggest concerns with bros, which was they were trying to, you know, show the world this like queer love story. And of course, like the the one that they choose to show Mm -hmm. is the most accepted queer love out there. Right. Like society for the most part has gotten past two handsome white men loving each other. Yeah. That's like the one that That's they don't the care most about. universally accepted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and has been for a very long time. The longest time. Which obviously I'm not saying that like white gay men don't go through shit. Sure. Like every gay do. person has gone through shit. Yeah. But I think it was really hard to like connect to that. Yeah. And it also was really hard to connect to their relationship because there was an obvious discomfort with showing them in love yeah like it was a very reminded me of do you remember in pretty little liars when the Mm. one character came out as like a gay woman yes and she would have like love scenes yeah with a girl and Mm -hmm. they would just like hug yeah it was like like an extra long time (laughs) (laughs) it's like gay people just hug yeah any other movie showing a straight couple would have shown a saturday morning laying in bed together they Mm -hmm. would have shown holding hands holding hands kissing Mm -hmm. their first kiss like if you were showing backstory trying to get you to fall in love with this couple and to fall in love with their experience and to connect with them Mm -hmm. you would show them actively and truthfully being in love and there was zero chemistry connection and that wasn't through any fault of the two actors no it was just they refused to show it and Mm -hmm. i was like man it felt a little like we were afraid to go there yeah you know what i mean i agree that's why i said i think it was very surface level i think it was very literal and stereotypical and Mm -hmm. i think that's why we as actual queer people were like "Mm, Mm. feels fake yeah feels fake even though jonathan groff is gay i'm assuming the other daddy andrew <laughs> i can't with daddy andrew daddy eric that's the other Which, thing that's we've got to talk about that no gay couple i mean i'm not gonna say no because i'm sure there's a gay couple out there right. that that does go by their first name with their kid but no gay couple is like i'm daddy andrew and you're daddy eric they say I'm Papa and you're dad or you're daddy and I'm dad right or you're mommy and I'm mama whatever the combination is 
there are multiple words mm-hmm. for parent that isn't daddy eric and daddy andrew <laughs> and yeah. i was like what again very literal very literal and also very out of touch no. nothing about his portrayal of these two men mm-hmm. felt real felt natural felt genuine that yeah. was the biggest thing is they did not feel genuine no another thing that he was trying to do that i don't think he succeeded in mm-hmm. it was like the nods to hitchcock i'm not an expert in hitchcock by any means <laughs> right but i did dabble in college i wasn't a film major we've all established i was a psychology major i did take one class one uh-huh. film class called i think hitchcock i'm not sure <laughs> just hitchcock. we just watched hitchcock movies and we uh-huh, studied and, analyzed, we, them. and okay. we analyzed them we studied his techniques mm-hmm. which were at the time sort of groundbreaking and have laid a lot of groundwork for horror movies since then right the dolly zooms mm, the vertigo shots yeah there were a lot of them there were a lot of them and there was a lot of canted angles also yeah the camera work was interesting that's yeah so that's what i'm getting yeah at. There were a lot of weird close-ups where like... Extreme close-ups. Part of their faces were like cut out of the frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like the score was a little Hitchcocky. Truthfully, I didn't even notice the score. Okay. And I, I'm just, I'm going to throw that out there. That, yeah. that was probably the last thing that I even paid attention to, which I'm going to quickly say that the audio mixing in this movie was horrendous Mm. and that might be why i didn't notice okay so continue i noticed it really more at the beginning i noticed the Uh hitchcock themes and techniques more at the beginning because i did notice the score at the beginning and then at some point in the movie i agree with you it kind of just like fell off and i didn't hear it anymore Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, like you said, the canted angles, the dolly zooms, even just like the choreography of where the actors were mm. in the frame and like how they were moving about in the cabin at the beginning, it just all felt very Hitchcock to me. And felt like it lacked purpose. It yeah. felt like every choice they made was just like, this looks cool. Yeah. Like you. So that's what I was going to say yeah. about the film school thing. It was uh-huh. like, these are all the techniques I learned to do on a camera <laughs> in film school. And I put them all in the same movie back to back to back to back to back. Yeah. Multiple dolly zooms. Like it was just like mm-hmm. doing too much. It reminded me a little bit of my cinematography class where like part of our homework every single week was you were in teams of three mm-hmm. and your homework was to bring a five second shot and that five second shot was one week we did a steady cam shot one mm-hmm. week we did a dolly shot one week we did mixing warm and cool lighting okay so basically like every single week for the entire course mm-hmm. we had to come in with a shot that was based around a concept but then you could design the shot however you wanted right and it had no context there was no plot there was no writing mm-hmm. it was just a subject and you shot it for five seconds and you turned that in and it like this movie <laughs> felt like that like it felt like he was just piecing together shots yeah that he thought looked fun and that like his cinematographer looked cool mm-hmm. but served no purpose and really didn't move his story or the film no. in any capacity honestly like even the directing like yeah. i just felt like it was just so many weird choices yeah and all of those weird choices ended up with sort of this vacant film i think i came out of it knowing that there was a lack of direction and a lack mm-hmm. of purpose behind everything mm-hmm. and in turn that made me think is there a meaning to this movie or was it just making something that he thought sounded cool 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, was there analysis that we should be doing? Should we be breaking down these roles? Should we be looking into these themes? Should we be reading into it on a religious or a political right. se- like stage? And so I think like as I was watching the movie, I was trying to analyze it. But then I came out of the movie thinking, well, that didn't even have direction or purpose. So did he mean anything by that at all? Right. And I know that I've seen in the past couple of days that this movie was based on a book. Yes. And I noticed that like when the credits were rolling. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Based on book. However, the only thing that I've known, which now I really want to do more research on the book Mm -hmm. was that apparently the baseline story is the same but the ending is completely different and also like a lot of the movie is completely different so I feel like he read this book and was like that's a really cool idea but I want to do it differently and then did it differently but then never really asked himself the right questions of why am I making these choices? Why am I using these camera angles? Why am I telling these character stories through flashback instead of through progressive moments that happen naturally right i feel like he didn't ask himself those questions and i feel like he also didn't ask his actors to answer those questions for themselves no he didn't push anyone to think Mm -mm. of themselves outside of this like very generic box that he put everybody in yeah and funny enough the only actor in the entire movie who succeeded at developing his character and giving us like a, like a meaty performance mm-hmm. was fucking Dave Bautista. He really did. He was great. He did that. Dave Bautista, I'm going to say it right now, was my absolute hands down favorite part of this movie. Yeah. I thought he was an incredible character. Mm-hmm. I thought he gave a, an amazing performance. I mm-hmm. thought he had the most layers out of every character yeah. in the entire movie. He was both menacing and terrifying but Mm -hmm. also like sweet and cute and genuine and charming and I was just like absolutely floored first of all that Dave Bautista was like giving such a great performance we didn't know he had that kind of depth yeah I mean he was great in in Guardians of the Galaxy but like I never saw this coming from him Mm -hmm. and I was really impressed by his performance and I thought he was able to do something with his character that everybody else wasn't able to do and funny enough he didn't get a cutscene, so he doesn't have any backstory he told that all through his performance and I thought that was really great I think going off of the positive notes Mm -hmm. also you and I I think if anybody has listened to our podcast from the beginning knows that we are absolute connoisseurs of disaster movies yes we love a disaster we eat the ant shit up i don't know why i have no reason for why i love disaster movies but i truly do yeah there's something about watching a large scale disaster that leaves like a pit in my stomach more than Mm -hmm. like a horror movie which obviously i love horror too but like it like freaks me out a little bit yeah i think i have that fear of big things what Mm. is that fear damn So in like Moonfall, when you see the moon approaching the earth, Mm. that is scarier to me than Michael Myers chasing somebody. Yes. Fear of large objects is called megalophobia. Megalophobia. I think I have that. And so I loved the scenes in this movie that made me feel like that because I I get a a rush from that. Mm -hmm. I get that adrenaline shot. And there are some like apocalyptic things that happen in this movie. Yeah. And that was probably one of my favorite parts 
of yeah, the film. I was going to say, I feel the same way as far as things that I liked about this movie. That was definitely one of them for the same reason, because yeah. we loved his Astro movies. It was cool. I thought those aspects and elements were really cool. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that as well. And I also thought that those scenes was honestly like more scary than what was happening inside the cabin. Yeah. Even though if you were to say, which we can talk about in the spoiler section, if you were to say on paper what happens in the cabin, mm-hmm. it should be terrifying, right. disturbing, terrifying. I didn't feel any sense of like urgency. No. I didn't feel any sense of true fear outside of like Dave Bautista's size and like his ability right. to kind of provide that. Right. But I didn't feel connected or scared no. in any capacity of what was happening no. inside the cabin. What was happening inside of the cabin should have been evoking dread. It mm-hmm. should have been evoking terror, like you said, and just utter fear. Yeah. It didn't. Nothing. All that being said, what is your popcorn score? Okay. I'm going to give it a medium. Okay. I'm going to be fair because I didn't hate this movie. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds probably like I did. Yeah. Because... Really, for the first time in the history of this podcast, I had critiques of a movie, (laughs) which like, who am I? I've Uh never, I've never come to the table with notes that were negative about a movie really ever. So I didn't hate this movie. Mm -hmm. Again, I really, I thought it was a fun watch. Yeah. There were parts of it that I really liked. Overall, though, I just think it was a miss on a lot of fronts. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a medium. I think if we're looking at a percentage and like everything under 50%. Mm-hmm. would be a small mm-hmm. and then everything between you know a 90 and a 50 is a medium that's a big sure that's a big chunk yeah but that's kind of how the american school system works <laughs> got them why don't they just start giving out popcorn ratings instead of test honestly scores? at this point they should they should because a 60 is now passing yeah <laughs> that's where we're at folks i'll say in that context mm-hmm. this was a medium popcorn it is yes. not terrible. No. It was well done in some sense. Sure. It was a fun original thought. It was a yeah. cool concept. I think it's worth one watch. Yes. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. No. Maybe I will to like see if I can like analyze it a little bit more and not okay. feel as like apathetic towards it. Sure. But yeah, it's like a true, it's literally like a 51% for me. Yeah. It's like a true medium. Yeah. It's not like the a low medium. End. Yeah. It's yeah. a low end. That being said, <laughs> <laughs> we just ripped we just this movie on this movie. I, know. I don't feel bad though. I mean, I stand by everything that I've said. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> No regrets. You said that like M. Night himself is listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, if you are, I I don't regret it. Welcome back to the spoiler section of the podcast where we get to talk about all the things that we <laughs> likely don't like about this movie. <laughs> More things we hate about More this movie. More things we hate about this movie. Um, I can't believe... M. Night Shyamalan really made two gay characters decide whether or not they were going to murder each other in order to save the world. Yeah. I, the entire movie, thought there's going to be, because it's M. Night, there's Mm going to be a twist here. And the twist is going to be that, yes, these people are making this shit up Mm -hmm. and they're just deranged. And I thought that maybe it was 
kind of pointing in the direction of like QAnon or yeah. like Reddit sub posters mm-hmm. where basically these four horsemen of the apocalypse who are these three these four people Dave Bautista Ron Weasley and these two women that mm-hmm. come with them who basically also were very nondescript people yeah they all kind of were even all Ron the, Weasley was yeah. which <laughs> Ron Weasley could not keep an accent straight he no. was supposed to be from Boston kind of sounded southern also a little bit British and also was in the movie for approximately 10 minutes five seconds yeah <laughs> But anyways, the reason that they found each other was Mm -hmm. that they all are having these shared visions of the end of the world. Right. And they find each other on a messaging board. And Mm -hmm. then they say, let's all meet at this boardwalk. And if we're all there and we're all wearing the things that we thought each other was going to wear, then that's it. Like Mm -hmm. we are, we are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Their whole story was making me feel like, is he making a social comment about echo chambers, which yeah. a character in the movie really did mention that where he was just like, you know, you're all bringing the same delusion mm-hmm. onto this message board and you're all just echo chambering until you're all having a shared delusion, uh-huh. which is currently happening in America right now. Actively has been happening. In has America. been happening in America, which by the way, conspiracy theories have a long link to people with trauma. Yeah. And... It's basically people with unaddressed trauma Mm -hmm. who are trying to find a meaning in this world. Yes. And a reason for all of their suffering. And Mm -hmm. so they come up with these delusions of grandeur that lead to conspiracy theories. And when people get in a room together and they all have trauma and they're Mm -hmm. all talking about it, some weird shit can happen. Very weird. And it really snowballs fast. And it really snowballs like exceptionally fast. That's how cults happen. That's how Mm -hmm. like... QAnon happens. That's how all of these things happen. Sometimes like full ass religions. That's how it happens. And so I thought that he was making a commentary about that. And eventually we were going to find out that, you know, this was all scripted and Mm -hmm. they did come up with this like on their own. I thought the same thing. Yeah. And when it actually turned into Jonathan Groff sitting there explaining to his husband why he has to kill him Mm -hmm. in a weird way like i'm gonna say it like maybe it it kind of was a twist that it was all real yeah it kind of was a twist that these were actually the four horsemen of the apocalypse and that the apocalypse was actually actively happening yeah and that these two random fucking gay dudes in pennsylvania had to decide who they were going to kill each other or their daughter right in order to save the world. And I know that there's a, a famous trope called bury your gaze, which is basically in horror movies, thriller movies, action movies. If there is a gay character, you can almost guarantee that one of them is going to die. Interesting. It's just a thing that people do. Okay. And it also often happens with black people. Gotcha. And that's happened in horror movies throughout time is that if there's a gay character or a black character or a slut, you know, they're going to die. Yes. <laughs> and it's basically like, Whoever is marginalized, let's kill them. Yeah, they're dead. And it's a, it's a cop-out because directors think that if they put somebody who is marginalized or who is somebody that people can empathize with, mm-hmm. then it's more dramatic. It's more tragic. Uh-huh. 
they think of it that way but yeah, then because they're an outcast because they're an outcast yeah. and they're struggling mm-hmm. but then like they're the first ones dead always right. and i feel like this movie was just like let's just like lean into that as hard as humanly possible where the end of the movie was actually two gay characters married in love with a child have to sacrifice one of them each other each other and their relationship and their happiness and their family so that every shitty person on earth can live m9 M. Night Sweetie. I'm sure in this book, there's probably like a gay couple. Right. And he just ran with that and was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that's my point that I was making earlier in the podcast is that because he lacked so much direction and purpose in this movie, Mm -hmm. I feel like I can't really like I don't think he's like homophobic because he tried really hard to show that this couple loved each other as much as any other couple does Mm -hmm. which like that in and of itself was exhausting to watch but i feel like he was trying to make a a point of like i'm here for the gays i feel like it was trying to set it up like the gays were like the chosen ones Uh and like they're like the heroes yeah like you said it's like well these gay people who supposedly love each other so much and like are such a close family mm-hmm. now their life is ruined for all of the other people who have marginalized them. right i'm not saying that this was his meaning behind this decision right. to have them have to sacrifice jonathan groff <laughs> <laughs> r.i.p jonathan Kristoff from frozen but here's the thing as people who have lived a queer experience mm-hmm. Both of us have been asked by straight people in our lives to give up our relationship in order to make them comfortable, to make them happy. Yep. And having a character look his husband in the eye and say, you have to kill me in order to save everybody on this earth, Mm -hmm. aka make everybody happy. Yep. We have to sacrifice our happiness, our future our love for the comfort of for the comfort else. of everybody else when i was processing that message in the theater dude. i was just like oh my god dude and again if if that was intentional this is the most homophobic movie of all time <laughs> yeah like a hundred percent unintentional which i truly think that yeah. it is i truly think that m night wasn't trying to do I don't this think on so purpose either. unintentional it's just careless honestly besides the questionable reasoning behind the movie my biggest issue was that the climax of the movie is jonathan groff dying yeah and them ending the apocalypse right and it a hundred percent did not feel like a climax no it just kind of happened and i think Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why it felt so dull and dead and such a unsatisfying moment was because I a thousand percent don't believe that Jonathan Groff's character could have convinced Daddy Andrew to kill him in that moment. No. They weren't there yet. They were not anywhere close to being there. At no point in the movie did I feel like either of them actually believed that the apocalypse was happening. No. Until suddenly it was. And all of a sudden, it was just like Jonathan Groff's character has this whole proclamation. He's like, wait, they were the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse. apocalypse. And like explains it to us. Like One of them like, represented misery. It was malice. Ma- yeah. Nurturing. Healing. Guidance. Guidance. There you go. 
Yeah, so he was like, one of them represents malice. One of them represented nurturing. One of them represented healing. And the other represented guidance. They are the four horsemen <laughs> of the apocalypse. He literally said that whole thing. Like, I'm not, jo- no. like, I'm not actually joking no, right now. What she just said is exactly <laughs> the script, like line for line. And it was like, wait, are we about to get like a PowerPoint about like the apocalypse? He's trying to present like, a, like a school <laughs> presentation about why he should be shot and killed yes. at the end. So you should shoot and kill me because that moment happened so suddenly mm-hmm. that it was just like, wait, wait now all of a sudden they know who's gonna die like two seconds ago they didn't even believe that any of this was real it was yeah everything happened way too fast way too fast (laughs) i also thought that poor win's character was so thrown away yeah because i mean she wasn't like the greatest child actor in the world but i thought that she was so cute she was adorable and i think any scene in a movie like that where it's apocalyptic or a horror or a thriller like a child brings the stakes up like mm-hmm. a, a child's presence raises the stakes yeah everything's a little more traumatic everything's a little more disturbing yeah. everything's a little more fucked up and at the end of the movie they just threw her away they literally were like go in this treehouse and put your headphones yeah. on and don't come out until we get you and she wasn't there for any of the end no meanwhile we opened the film with her we yeah. opened the whole movie with her collecting these grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. We opened the the film with Dave Bautista's character kind of like trying to trying butter, to her, butter up. her up and like get into her good graces. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that they were setting her up as the eyes of the movie. Like we were yeah. going to experience the whole thing through her eyes. And so I thought there was going to be that type of moment where she was going to be the catalyst mm-hmm. for either ending the apocalypse or she was going to be the catalyst to figuring out that all of this was bullshit which i thought was going to be the ending i was wrong i was very wrong they just kind of threw her away they were just like oh you're a cute kid but go in the treehouse for the end just go (laughs) go to your room for a minute yeah we'll come get you when it's done we'll come get you when the apocalypse (laughs) is over sweetie apocalypse So that being said, I know I'm repeating myself at this point, but this movie had a lot of potential. Yes. And it had a really good performance by Dave Bautista. I thought Daddy Eric, or no, I thought Daddy Andrew did a pretty good job. Yeah. Jonathan Groff was like, I'll never watch this movie again. I will. (laughs) I will not. That does it for us. Yes. I am so sorry if you loved this movie and we just spent like the last half hour just tearing it apart. You might really enjoy this movie. And that's okay. And that's okay. I'm not. We don't think you're homophobic. No, we don't. We don't. We absolutely do not. We absolutely do not. If you like this movie, you can tell us. We won't be mad. Right. Next week is going to be a little bit of a genre shift. We're going to be quite the genre shift. You have some homework to do because you have to catch up on some Ant Man movies. (laughs) I haven't seen a single one. Yeah. We are going to be reviewing Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So we're going to be back on our Marvel bullshit. Yes, we are. Until then, I hope you have a great weekend, a great week ahead of you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on the ride home.